Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Okay, John chapter 15, starting at verse number one. I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. And then he says this, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. We've been talking, and it's a new series we started last Sunday, on the power of of deep roots. And when you look in this scripture, God has a lot to say about our roots. And uh, this particular passage in John 15, what I want us to note is really the purpose of Jesus sharing this parable, first of all. He's about to leave the earth. He's about to go to the cross and be uh, crucified and then raised from the dead exalted at the right hand of the Father. So what he's doing is he's preparing his disciples to continue the work that he called them to. So he speaks to them using this allegory of a Middle Eastern um, you know, vineyard, and he says this. He says, I want you to understand, first of all, that he said, I'm the vine. He said, you're branches. My father is the vine dresser. Now, what he's really saying is God wants you to bear fruit. Anyone who plants uh, a crop expects a harvest, correct? Why would you plant something and not expect a return or a harvest on what you planted? It doesn't make sense. No one does that. When you plant, you expect that there will be a return, a harvest. And so... He's saying, and you can read this in Isaiah chapter 5, he speaks about how God, his father, planted a good vine in a fertile hill, and he expected that it would yield grapes. Unfortunately, it did not yield good grapes. And he's speaking about Israel and the old covenant. Now Jesus steps in and he says, in the new covenant, I am the true vine. And he says, I am the true vine. I am the one who's going to bear the fruit that my father expected of Israel. And he's saying, as my followers, as my disciples, you are required to bear fruit as well. And the New Testament is clear that bearing fruit is not an option for the Christian. It is a non-negotiable requirement if you are a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ. Let me read just a few scriptures. Matthew 3, verse 10. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, 
Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 7, 17 through 20, Jesus says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. He reiterates this same truth in John chapter 15. Look at verse number 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciples. One translation says, so will you prove that you are my disciples. So fruit is the testimony of our authenticity of a follower of Jesus Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Later on in John 15, verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain or that your fruit should last. Now, what he says there is God doesn't just expect fruit at one stage or in one season of our lives, but he expects fruit during the entire duration of our lives as Christians. So, that is something that, listen, idealistically, sometimes we think, well, that's, that's you know, that's ideal, but I don't know if that ever happens. Now, the fact is, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I think we've all been in a stage in our lives, in our relationship with the Lord, where it seems that we were not bearing fruit. It seems that, you know, we were, we were barren in a sense. But understand this, that God says we have the capacity and the capability to bear fruit. Here's the reason why. Bearing fruit is a promise. Understand that. Bearing fruit is a promise. Every good tree bears what? Good fruit. So it's a promise. God said that if you're a good tree, you're going to bear good fruit. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but it's certainly uh, worth repeating. I believe it was Martin Luther who said many years ago, it's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but it's the tree that makes the fruit good. In other words, if the tree is good, there will be good fruit. If the tree is bad, there will be what kind of fruit? bad fruit. So, the idea here is we have to focus on the actual, um, you know, entity or the, the life that is causing the fruit to manifest, not just the actual, you know, manifestation itself. So, Jesus puts it this way. Look what he says in John chapter 15 again, starting at verse number four, when he's speaking about his God's promise that we would bear fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's saying, here's the key. If you're going to bear fruit, which my Father expects that you'll bear fruit, because every good tree bears good fruit, and if you don't bear good fruit, then the tree is cut down eventually if there's barrenness. In fact, the reality is, guys, that if the tree is good, if the tree is authentic, if it's real, it will manifest good fruit. If you're a true Christian, you will bear good fruit. If someone says, hey, I'm a Christian, but their life hasn't changed, and they're living no differently than what they were before they knew Christ, then according to the Scripture, you've not experienced the true new birth. You've not, because it says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, all things have become new. So you will, you will bear good fruit. 
Now, it's not a calling or uh, literally an expectation from God that you or I, on our, by our own effort, endeavor to manifest this fruit or produce it. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, look at it again. He says, abide in me and I in you. The Greek word that is used there is transliterated, M-E-N-O, meno, and it's literally used nine times in the first 11 verses of John chapter 15. It's translated different ways, remain, abide, etc., but it's the same word. And he's saying that God expects us to bear fruit, but our focus is not to be on the act of bearing fruit. Our focus is to be in the union of the branch staying connected to the vine. God says, look, bearing fruit is a promise. Abiding is the process. We're called to abide. That's what we are expected to do. If we abide, he, the Lord, has promised we will bear good fruit. There's a, an extreme teaching. Um, you know, it's interesting because as Christians, we, we tend to kind of drive on both sides of the road at times, if you know what I'm saying. We go on the one ditch over here, and then sometimes we end up in the other ditch over here. But there's two extreme teachings when it comes to bearing fruit. Number one is that it's all done by our effort. That's legalism. The other teaching is that we don't have to do anything. We just sit back and God's going to do everything. Well, that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture says we have to abide. And if we abide, there will be fruit. But if we don't abide, there won't be fruit. As the branch, the Greek word again, meno, literally means to stay connected, to remain attached. Think of it. In the natural, if a branch is attached to the vine, the life that is in that vine, the sap will flow into the branch, and the branch will bear fruit. The branch doesn't have to attempt to bear fruit. The branch doesn't have to do anything other than just stay connected to the vine. And he's saying that I'm going to show you what the demands of your discipleship is and what it will impose upon you and the means by which it can become effective. I'm about to leave you and you must bear fruit. But if you don't, he's saying, I'll prune you. Or even when you do bear fruit, he said, I'll prune you to bear more fruit. So we all go through these seasons where God takes out his pruning shears and he says, you know what? You did well in the last season, but I want fruit in this season. Sometimes we kind of take a, a sabbatical from bearing fruit, don't we? It's like, well, you know what? I've been seeking God. I've been walking with God. And, you know, I've been doing all of this stuff. But, you know what? I just need to spend time with myself. And so the next year, I'm just going to kind of forget about spiritual things and focus on doing my own thing. And unfortunately, guys, we can't do that. Not, we cannot focus on doing something at the expense of our relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying... You don't go to college or you don't, you know, 
or uni or whatever. Oh, it's uni over here, right? So you don't go to uni or whatever, obviously, or you don't try to better yourself in some way or another. But what I'm saying is that if you look at things, how much time do we invest in our spiritual development versus our professional development, our educational betterment, etc.? How much time? You know, the scripture says that we are to literally be diligent in our spiritual growth. If you read 2 Peter chapter 1. Diligent. Work hard. Now, how do we work hard? There's no contradiction here. He's not saying that we bear the fruit. But he's saying we make sure that we stay connected. As we stay in that place of union with God, his life will flow into us and cause us to bear fruit. That's what makes true biblical Christianity different than any other religion in the world. It's about relationship. It's about communion and union with God. And out of that union, we have communion. And then what happens is his life changes us from the inside out. And to be very honest, that's what grace is. And so, I mentioned in this teaching last week that when you really look at things from the scriptural perspective, God does expect fruit, but his calling up to our lives is merely to watch over the root system, to ensure that it's healthy, to make sure that we're planted in the right soil. And if we do this, then God himself guarantees that we will bear fruit. It's very powerful. There are at least two things that hinder us from bearing fruit as Christians. The first one is because, listen to this, the fact of the matter is we have been planted in good soil. Do you understand that? We have, when we, if you were truly born again, if you were truly saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, what happens was, the Bible says, we become trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Isaiah 61 verse 3. That word tree literally means a big tree, a tree with big deep roots. A strong tree, like an oak tree. And he's saying that we have become planted by the Lord himself. We're planted by him. So we've been planted in good soil. Look at it. Jesus put it this way. He said this, verse number 3 of John 15, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He was obviously addressing his disciples, and he said, you're already clean. Here's the amazing thing. The new covenant is all about this. Go into Ezekiel chapter 36. God says to Israel prophetically, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back from your captivity. I'm going to plant you in your homeland. And then he literally begins to speak to them about the new covenant. And he's saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out of you a heart of stone. And I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. And that heart of flesh will literally be responsive and desire to do my will. That is grace. That he says, it's not like I just, you know, forgive you of your sins and say, okay, now work really hard to become a holy person, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, and so on. 
No, he's saying, I am going to do open heart surgery. He says, first of all, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean. Then he says, then what I'll do is I'll take out of you this heart of stone, this unresponsive heart, this heart that has no proclivity or propensity to be able to do my will or follow me. And I'm going to put a new heart in you. And this new heart is my heart that will delight and desire to do my will. So you're already clean. Now, if we're already clean, what does he say? Well, he says, now abide. Abide. Stay connected to the life flow. You know, if, if in the natural, what happens if you have poor circulation? What happens to your extremities? What happens to your brain? All right. I saw a video the other day of a woman in America a reporter who had one cup of coffee and they did an MRI before she had the cup of coffee and then one, they did an MRI after she had the cup of coffee and her brain flow to her brain decreased 40% with one cup of coffee. Scary stuff. All right. So sometimes, yeah, you want to have a better memory, quit drinking coffee. Seriously, it works. The fact is brain, a lack of flow to the brain, what does that do? Mm. Very scary, right? Brain clot. Potentially can form. Stroke. Potentially. Very serious stuff. Because why? The life is in the blood. And if we aren't connected and there's no flow of his life coming into us, guess what happens? Not good. And yet, many of us, that's how we live. Limited flow, decreased flow, or no flow. And we get in this place where we're not able to produce the fruit that God expects of us. And so the, the answer is not working harder. The answer isn't even listen to me because you can say, well, I'm going to pray an extra hour every day. And that surely will change my life. And that's not necessarily the answer. Most Christians don't pray enough in the Western nations in particular. That's absolutely true. And prayer, certainly, true biblical prayer is communion with God. But not all prayer is communion. Do you understand that? The Pharisees prayed. Last Wednesday night we had an amazing, amazing prayer time. The presence of God was just off the chart. And I was, I was teaching on that scripture where Jesus says hypocrites love to pray. Hypocrites love to pray. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. So not everyone who prays is having communion with God. Communion with God involves prayer, certainly. But prayer is not just a discipline or an action that you engage with, whether you're in, the, in church or, or even if you are alone, it's more than that. Prayer is literally coming to that place where you're being intentional of, about abiding in him. And abiding is not, it doesn't just happen when you're spending time praying. This is a very powerful psalm. It's found in Psalm 109, and I believe it's verse number 4. And David is speaking about how he's being persecuted. 
He said, they hate me. They despise me. For the good things I do, they persecute me. But then he says, but I give myself to prayer. That's what he says. In the Hebrew language, there is no give myself to. In the Hebrew language, it says this, but I'm prayer. I am prayer. I am prayer, David said of himself. My identity, my lifestyle, my perpetual act is prayer. Prayer isn't something that I do for one hour a day. Even if most Christians did that, we'd see revival. But prayer is a lifestyle that I shift into where I'm in constant communion with God. If a branch was only connected to a vine for one hour of the day, what would happen? I'm abiding, but the rest of the time I'm just laying there limp. No, we have to stay connected. And it's a lifestyle where we learn how to abide in him. So when you read 1 Thessalonians and he says, pray without ceasing, he wasn't saying that we're literally to, you know, go away in some monastery and shut ourselves out from the world and literally just pray day and night. That's not what he was advocating. He was espousing a lifestyle of constant communion with God where we are living in the spirit where there are times where we verbally pray absolutely there are times when we worship out loud absolutely but we regardless of whether we're doing that or not we're in a place of constant communion with him because our heart is fixed on him David said, I set the Lord continually before me. He's always before me, is what David said. I'm fixated on him. He is my focus. You know, when we say, seek first the kingdom of God, we're not, the, really, the, the meaning of that is not that we put God first, like we give him even an hour or whatever, and then we just do the rest of the stuff. That's not what it's meaning. It literally means to make him your focus. He's the hub. Because if he's number one, there can also be a number two, correct? He's not number one. He's everything. In him, we live and move and have our being. Everything flows out of him. The decisions we make flows out of our communion with him because we receive the wisdom of God. When we need strength to do something supernatural, for example, and we don't know how we're going to do it, we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not rich enough, guess what? He is. He owns everything. He has all the wisdom. He has all the power. And if we stay connected to him, he will reveal to us and he will literally give us a revelation and an impartation of whatever we need to be able to make the move forward in order to progress in, his, in our relationship with him. So, it's about constant communion. There are times, however, in our relationship with the Lord 
where it will seem that what we have been doing is no longer working. It's very interesting then, you think about some of us, when you were first saved, did you ever see God like just do some amazing miracles? Like when you were first a Christian and you just prayed. And I remember one time, we lived in a country where it actually snows like six months of the year and you hate it. But I remember one time it was snowing like in October. It's not supposed to snow until November, December, hopefully January. It'll hold off that long. But in October, it's snowing. And I was just like, this is just too much. God, I don't like this. There's, and there's always people getting hurt. There's, there's, there's smashes on the, on the highways. People, I mean, you know, 150 car pileups when it's black ice and you're driving down the highway and that kind of stuff. Bang, bang, boom. And oh, it's terrible. People die as a result of it. So I just said, this is not good. Snow and ice is of the devil. Absolutely. <laughs> Because it doesn't bear good fruit. It's just destruction. It's steal, kill, and destroy. So, I'm like, and everybody says, oh, it looks so beautiful. Try driving in it. Right? Okay. I mean, yeah, we got these big plows that go out there and just, and salt and sand and literally spend millions and millions of dollars every winter on the budget and the cities. But I'll tell you what, when it gets nasty out, oh, you just like, that is of the devil. So I just said, hey, Lord, it's snowing, it's October. How about we stop it from snowing here? And I just stood up and I walked outside and I looked over the city. We lived up on the third floor and I said, in the name of Jesus, peace be still, storm stop. I'm telling you guys, like straight away, it just stop. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, there is no way. They were calling for, like, massive amounts of snow. And it just stopped. Like, I mean, within na a nanosecond, literally. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I saw God do so many amazing things when I first got saved. I've shared some of the stories, and, and there's many more, and I'll share some of them in due time. But there comes a point in our walk and our relationship with God where we pray, and it's like, why is it that it just doesn't seem that my prayer is not being answered like the way God once did it? Why is it that when you go to India or Pakistan or some of these countries where there's no, uh, you know, there's just so much spiritual darkness and very little gospel that these incredible miracles happen? You've seen how many people I've prayed for in, in places like in Africa and other places. And I mean, just the things that have happened, the miracles. And then you come here and you're like, what in the world is going on? Well, one of the obvious explanations is Jesus said a prophet is not with honor except in his own country. And we, we know that when he went there, he wasn't able to do any mighty works. Another explanation is it's a sign and it's a wonder to cause people who, who don't believe in Jesus to believe. And, and that's true also. But I also think that the scripture teaches this. To whom much is given, much more is required. In other words, for an unbeliever, for a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist or even an atheist or Satanist, 
It's quite easy to see a miracle take place. I've seen it happen all the time. But then we pray for Christians. It's like, why are they not being healed? Is it Jesus like he just likes those people? Obviously not. I mean, we're, we're his children. But there comes a point where I believe God says, you know what? When you were like two years old, I allowed you to do that. Do you remember what you allowed your kids to do when they were two years old? Huh? Seriously. I mean, they might play in the toilet, and right? But if you found a 17 or an 18-year-old playing in the toilet, you'd send them to a psychiatrist, wouldn't you? I mean, think about it. But the fact of the matter is, there comes a point in our spiritual walk in our, that we are called to mature. And we're called to grow. And I found that what God does is he hides himself from us. And Elizabeth mentioned this morning the scripture about where God says, Jesus said, you know, seek and you will find. Right? Ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be opened. And in the, uh, the original language, it literally says it's something we're to do continually until we experience that. In other words, it's not just one-time thing. It's in the present tense. Continuous action. So in other words, a loose translation would be keep asking until you receive. Keep seeking until you find. Keep knocking until the door opens. Now, if I came to your home and I rocked up and, you know, you had music playing, Alice, you know, had loud music playing and just like the lady on the video a couple weeks ago when the guy pulled up in the car and we thought it was him, but it was actually the granny who had the music. Uh, if you miss that, we'll do it again. But anyway, what happens is I come to Alice's home and I want to see her. There's music, there's noise, there's conversation. And so I just go like this. And I wait 20 seconds. Then I walk away and say, well, Alice must not want to see me today. I'm so offended. Why didn't Alice want to see me today? Now, the fact is God's not deaf. He knows exactly what, you know, he, the Bible says he knows even before we ask him. He knows. So it's not about God not hearing us. But it is about our intention. How serious are we? The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We need both mercy and grace. But it says, let us come boldly. That word literally means with all outspokenness, with no reservation, with no hesitation, with frankness. That's what God says to us. In other words, hey God, I'm here. And you told me to come. And you told me to do it with absolutely no sense of reservation. I'm here. When it says in Hebrews 11:6 that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
The word that is translated diligently literally means to crave or to make a demand. <laughs> Are we casual inquirers or deep seekers? What is it that we're really wanting? If we just simply come to God and say, God, you know what's going on, and if it's your will, and if you're in a good mood today, I mean, we might as well say that, the way we act, then that'd be great if you'd do something for me. And God says, that type of faith does not please me. That type of faith does, puts no demand on me. That type of faith reveals to me that you are not determined. Until we become desperate, until we come to the place where we say like Jacob of old, I am not going to let you go until. Until you bless me. Until we come to that place where we say, I am not going to stop praying until. And we move into that place, then what ends up happening is God says, now I know you're serious. Now I know you're serious. Why is it that God says, you need to do, pray and keep praying and keep praying? Because he's saying, look, you've got to come to that point where you've exhausted all other resources. You've burned every bridge. You have no plan B. You've got to come to that place. And when you get to that place, when you have no confidence in yourself, and you're not looking to anyone else but me, he said, that's when you are at the beginning of your miracle. The Christian life is increasingly learning how to become more dependent on God. Somebody says, you know what? Christianity's, you know, it's for weak people. I need... It's a crutch for the weak. I said, no, it's not a crutch. It's a stretcher. Because if you have a crutch, you're still able to walk. In the, book, in the book of Zephaniah, God says, in the last days, I'll make the lame a remnant. I'll make the lame a remnant. I will literally cause those who've stopped trying to do it on their own and who's saying, God... I don't care what it takes. I'm going to seek you until. And there will come a time in your relationship and my relationship with the Lord where what we did in the past season just doesn't work. And I think about Daniel. Daniel was a good Jew. When he was in exile in Babylon, the scripture says that he prayed at all the given prayer times throughout the day. He did what was expected of him. He prayed with an open window facing toward Jerusalem. But there came a point in Daniel's life where he realized that the situation and the season that he lived in required a deeper level of commitment. And Daniel at that time, according to the 10th chapter, literally went into a protracted season of fasting and praying. And eventually, after 21 days... The angel came to him, Gabriel, and he said, Daniel, the very first day that you began to pray, God heard you. Yeah. He knew what was happening. 
But there is a spiritual battle happening in the heavenly places, in the atmosphere. The prince of Persia was opposing me, Gabriel said, so that I was not able to deliver the answer to your prayer. Because when Gabriel came, he gave him a revelation that would not only affect him, but the entire nation. And he said, but... What ended up happening is another angel, Michael, an archangel, a fighting angel, was dispatched. And he literally began to engage in battle in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly atmosphere. And he cleared a pathway that I could come through. Guys, we don't realize some of the things that we're engaged in as Christians. It's not only is God putting a demand on us because he's simply trying to develop our faith, but he's putting a demand upon us because of the battle that is happening that we might be oblivious to, even in the natural. And whether we like it or not, this is the fact. We haven't been called to a Sunday school picnic. We've been called to warfare. And men and women, I remember my cousin. My cousin was one of, like, a, a, you know, a big hotshot in the, in the U.S. Marines. And I remember when they were in, in uh, Libya and they started firing missiles at Libya. Some of the guys that were on the ship said, oh my gosh, we're going into war. We're going into battle. And my cousin, who was like a, a military police, he literally walked up to the two guys and went, fuck. And he said, suck it up. Why? Because you're in war. You're in war. I don't want to fight. I enlisted, but I didn't think I'd have to go to battle. Well, it's too late now. So, smack. Wake up. Come to your senses. You're engaged in battle. And that's the fact with some of us. I know that God isn't like that, but he does, you know, sometimes I think give us a kick. It's like, come on, wake up now. Put your big boy pants on. You are called to fight. You're called to warfare. I don't want to fight. I don't want to pray and fast. God, why don't you just answer me? Where are you, God? Don't you love me? You can do that until not only you're blue in the face, until you have no breath. There's a place where we have to engage in spiritual warfare. But I want the pastor to pray for me. Can't you just come and lay hands on me? And You know, so I've had people say, just cast the demon out of me. I said, it's not a demon. It's called praying and fasting until you get breakthrough. We believe in, obviously, spiritual adversity. But I'm saying there's times in your walk and there are people that I've honestly, I've come to the point where, where it, you know, it can become so exhausting when you're trying to fight for other people that aren't willing to fight for themselves. And not everyone will take responsibility for their lives. It's a sad thing. They'll complain. They'll murmur. They'll stay home when they should be in the house of the Lord because Today, I just don't feel I'm under so much adversity or whatever. And I found, just to be very honest, most people who claim they're under all adversity, not everyone, but most of them, they have no idea. They have no idea. It's like someone who plays video games 
versus someone who's really fought in a war. There's a big difference. So God says, look, I'm calling you to a deeper level. And we saw this. The place that we're called to is a place of going deeper. And I, I want to just go over this in the next two minutes, just quickly just reiterate what I shared last week. It's found in Jeremiah 17. And we'll close here. Verse number 7 and 8. Blessed are those, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. This is found in Jeremiah 17, as I said. It's the New Living Translation. And I want you to understand this, that a tree that is planted by a river in the midst of a drought has access to the water that imparts and refreshes and gives life. But as it says in the New Living, they have roots that reach deep. The King James says, they spreadeth out their roots. They spread out their roots. They literally extend or spread out the roots. And when you are in a time when you're dry and you're barren, the answer is spreading out your roots, which means going deeper, going deeper with God, going deeper in prayer, going deeper in faith, going deeper, pressing into God at a place you've never done before. And I want to tell you that as we go deeper with God, here's the amazing thing. Are you ready for this? We find his very presence in life. The water represents the flow of the spirit, his life, his sustenance, his presence, everything that we need. And we are able to draw from that so that we, no matter what other people are going through, if, if we had not extended our roots, we would become like a tree that would stop bearing fruit, a tree that with the leaves would, would not be green, but because we've learned to extend our roots, we find the refreshing waters of the spirit. And this is a message that the church has to get. It's a message that the church has to get. It's through abiding, it's through going deeper. I've, I've re repeated some of the things I taught on last week intentionally. I did have, I do have part three and four already shared, already planned. But I want to tell you this, that we've got to get this because if you, I want you to please understand this. The answer to everything that you have need of will be found as you extend your roots. If you're so busy and you're like, man, you're going through some difficult times and, and you're just like, I need a breakthrough. I need, I need healing or I need an answer in one way or the other. Then you're going to have to clear your calendar. You're going to have to clear your schedule, your diary, whatever, in order that you can spend time with God. There comes a point in every Christian's life, watch this now, where you're going to have to even just get along with God for a while. Will you just say, look, I'm not today, you know, this week? No, 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 no. I need to spend this time with God. And there's occasions in our lives, just as Daniel experienced, where it's very important that when we're facing obstacles, that we just say, no, 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 this is a time where I just have to press in and I have to go much deeper with God. 
And that's the amazing thing is that he's saying, in a sense, like I said earlier, he's saying, you know what? I'm hiding Isaiah 45, 15. Surely you are God that hides yourself. And the Bible says that all the riches of wisdom and glory are hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ. Colossians chapter 3. But it's not hidden from us. It's hidden for us, correct? He's saying, I have everything you need, but you've got to seek me. I feel very strongly that God is calling us as a church to really pray. I feel very strongly about that. We don't have to put prayer times on the calendar for this to happen. I want to encourage you to pray in your private life. I want to encourage you to pray with your family. I want to encourage you to pray with other believers. I do want to encourage you to come out to prayer times when we gather as a church as well. Because it's going to usher in the presence of God and we're going to see things break off in your life that it wouldn't break off in the natural. Change, healing, miracles, salvation of your loved ones. And I believe that the key is that. It's not about programs. It's not about personality. It's about presence, his presence. And as we seek him, he's going to move in our lives. Can we just stand together for a moment, please? Thanks. Thank you. We're going to, as I said, we're going to receive an offering for missions in just a moment. And if you have uh, pledged, you know, that you're going to give so much money, uh, then it's an opportunity for you to do that today if you'd like to. Whatever works for you. But I encourage you in just a moment to be ready to give as well. Because this money is going to be used to reach people with the gospel all over the world. And we'll do that in just a moment. And the ushers will help us with that. But just before we, we do that, I'd like us just to stand and, and pray. And this prayer that I believe should come from our hearts and our words is something that I believe would be honoring to the Lord and it's a prayer just basically where you just say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I know that you've called me to bear fruit. And maybe you feel like, well, there's been times and maybe you're in a season right now where you're just wondering, How, am, am I really bearing fruit? Am I, or, you know, it just seems like I'm not bearing fruit. Now, listen, we know there's winter seasons, but the work, the life is still there. Understand that. But listen, God is wanting a people that will just say, yes, Lord. I want to bear fruit for your glory. That's it. For your glory. And Lord, I just know the way I'm going to do this is through you, through my relationship with you. So it's about a call to renewing a relationship with God, deepening your relationship with God. Or maybe for someone, it may be you really haven't had a relationship with Jesus. You just don't know who he is. And so I just want to pray. If you would just bow your heads for, and close your eyes for a moment. I just want to pray right now. And Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each person that is here. And anyone whose Lord needs to know you, needs to know your life and your power and your love that will change them, Lord. I just pray in Jesus' name.